are comfortable standing, I invite you to stand as we begin our time of worship this morning. Blessed be thou God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the power and the glory and the majesty, for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come to thee, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and we praise thy glorious name. Great and 
morning. Thank you so much for being here at First Baptist Church, Sun City West. I hope and pray that you are enjoying already this time of worship. What a great series of songs focusing upon the glory of God, and I hope that he is the king of your life. If this is the very first time you've been here, or if you've never filled out one of our guest cards, we'd love for you to take the opportunity to pick one of those cards up in the pew in front of you and fill them out. Drop it in one of our offering boxes would you, uh, when you leave, because we would certainly appreciate the opportunity to contact you this next week. This morning, we began a, a brand new summer time. Uh, June is here, and the heat is uh, in full force. Um, I hope and pray as we look to this summer, the opportunities that we'll have, that you'll take every advantage of them. And one of those opportunities is to be here each and every Sunday as you possibly can. Would you join me in prayer? And then we're going to continue to sing and give honor and praise to, and glory to God. Father, thank you for the time that you've given us. We thank you for the uh, words of the songs that we have just sung. I thank you for our choir, our instrumentalist, Nancy, as she leads. The congregation, as they engage in worship, have prepared themselves with excitement and anticipation to meet you, God. But there's no other thought upon the mind but connecting with you, giving you honor and praise and glory, and allowing your spirit to speak to us directly and clearly. And God, I pray that when we leave this place today, we will be changed. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hebrews 13, 15 reads, Let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. We bring the sacrifice of praise followed by count your many blessings.
Jean Stelfox was scheduled to offer our deacon prayer this morning, and she had to go home not feeling well. So our deacon chairperson, <coughs> Bill Swinney, will be leading us. May we pray. Our Father and our God, Thank you for all the blessings you give us each day. We pray, Lord, as we worship you this morning, that we might feel your presence. That as the word is proclaimed, that we might listen and take it to heart as we go about our daily activities during the week. That we might indeed have you to follow with us as we go along our way. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for loving us. Bless us and teach us your way. In your holy name we ask it. Amen. All across America, the Southern Baptist Convention includes more than 15 million members, all shepherded by some 47,000 pastors. A few pastors live in big cities and serve megachurches with large memberships but the majority serve small congregations and are paid modestly. The pay that I got was half of the offering. Sometimes it was $10, sometimes maybe 15. Often, after serving their whole lives, they head into retirement with small earnings and little savings. So even buying basics like food and medicine can be a bumpy road. And I have went to bed hungry because I want my bills paid. I've got to pay for my medicine. Guidestone's Mission Dignity Ministry 
gives someone like you opportunities for assisting retired Southern Baptist ministers, workers, and their spouses in critical financial need. Since 1918, we've been the arms of Christ extended to these faithful servants. It takes over $7 million annually from people like you and churches like yours to provide monthly assistance to nearly 1,800 retirees who have nowhere else to turn. 100% of donations go directly to help someone in need. Through Mission Dignity, we as Southern Baptists are working together to assure no retired preacher or his widow has to live in poverty. Learn more at missiondignity.org. Next week, you will see a, another video of Mission Dignity and be given opportunity to contribute to that very vital ministry. Come all Christians, be committed to the service of the Lord.
Good morning. Our scripture reading for today is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The text for the scripture will be on the screen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. May the Lord bless the reading of this scripture, for these are the words of the Lord.
I love that song. Anybody here like to get handwritten letters in the mail? Does anybody do that anymore? Okay. Do any of you write any letters? Okay. All right. There's two or three out there. I remember when I was in college, <coughs> I used to love to get um, letters from my mom and dad, and they would write separately. Uh, my dad's, um, his was about four or five lines, and always had a $5 bill in it. <laughs> I like that one. Back in that day, $5 actually bought more than it does today. Um, my mom, on the other hand, she would write five, six, seven pages. And uh, it was always heartwarming to get those letters. They were very distinct. And uh, I'd always remember that my mom would always say, Kirby, you know, and then she'd begin talking about uh, how I was doing and checking to see how I was doing. And then she would just list out everything that, uh, that had gone on around, uh, around the house after I left or during that week or two weeks, whatever time frame it was. My dad uh, just made statements. Just, but he always said, son and made those statements. That meant a world to me, both of those. Introductions, salutations, letters, as they begin and you go through them mean the world. And that's what Paul was doing to the church at Ephesus. He was writing a letter to them because he wanted them to know some things. And in the very beginning, those first three verses, he lays out an important foundation that he wanted the church at Ephesus to know, and for us as well. Now we know that everything that, uh, that Paul wrote was important, but many of the most important or greatest statements are found in the introductions of his letters. And here, the letter to the church at Ephesus is absolutely no different. There are three vital things that he taught in these first three verses. Who God's ministers are, who God's people are, and what God's people have. And they launch out with just particular words that he uses, and that's what I want to speak about today. First and foremost, these verses tell us who God's ministers are. We find in uh, verse 1, the very first part, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ. It's a, it's a good statement. It's a statement that shows authority. It, it, it gives reference to who this letter is for. Many times, uh, when we write letters, we sign our names at the, at the end. But in these days, when they were circular letters, they didn't go through the mail as such. You didn't know who it was from until you opened the scroll up. So Paul, right up front, says, I want you to understand who it is who is writing and what authority I have. He, uh, it's kind of interesting because many people say, well, wait a second, he was not one of the 12 that followed Jesus everywhere that Jesus went. He wasn't part of, of the disciples who became apostles. You refer back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 8 and the first part of verse 9. He says, And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles. The apostle Paul wants to make sure that there is an understanding that what he is writing has the authority of being one sent from God. That term apostle means that very thing. It, it has the idea of an ambassador. It means one sent by commission as a personal representative of the one who is sending him, an ambassador. 
It is uh, basically three meanings put together. Number one, it is a person who speaks for another. I don't know if you remember uh, from your school days or not, but do you remember the uh, time of the Mayflower Compact? Miles Standish, John Alden, and Priscilla Mullins. Do you remember that? One of the great love triangles as such, as some people have put it. Miles Standish was, uh, he, just, he just liked Priscilla. Um, his wife had died. He was a military man from the British, and uh, his wife had died on the, on the trip. Um, so he was single. He was responsible for taking care of the colony. Um, John Alden, uh, he also had a, uh, uh, an eye for Priscilla. Priscilla was the only lady left who was of marriageable age. So you can just imagine. Well, Miles Standish, as tough as he was, the military impact, the story goes that he was timid, though, when talking to females. And he just couldn't get up the courage to even speak to her. And so he talked to John Alden, and John said, okay, I'll, I'll relay the message to you. And so as the story goes, and as the poem goes by Longfellow, he, uh, he goes and he speaks to Priscilla, persuading her with everything that he has of what kind of great man Miles is and how much he cared for her. And she looked at him and said, well, John, why don't you ask for yourself? <laughs> what was John? John Alden was an ambassador. He was one sent with authority. He was representing John, uh, Miles Standish at that point. That's kind of the idea of what an ambassador is. In our country, our ambassadors and all the different uh, uh, countries of the world, they are to go there and give the intentions. They're sent by our president, by our federal government, to make sure that the clear lines and communications are straightforward. And that's exactly what an ambassador for Christ is. Secondly, it's one given authority to make decisions. Um, when I was in high school, I worked about 34 hours a week at, as an assistant manager at the Horn Oil Station uh, on San Mateo in Albuquerque. I'm sure some of you have seen that. I, um, I remember how many hours I worked without our manager not being there, mostly at night. And you know what he allowed me to do? He allowed me to make decisions during that time with our employees on things that had to happen. He said, Kirby, I was young, as you can imagine. He said, I just want you to take care of it. And that's what I did. And that, in essence, is an ambassador. He gave, as the station manager, gave me authority to make the decisions. So we find that an ambassador for Christ, Paul, talking about himself here, he is one who has been given authority by Jesus to go forward and accomplish the task that he wanted him to accomplish. And third, it's one backed by the authority of the sender. Not only given the authority, but backed by it. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, that he came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. God gave that authority to Jesus. Jesus turned around and then what did he do? He gave us the authority to go and make disciples. And the power of the Spirit of God would be upon us as we did that. So when Paul talks about being an apostle, he's talking about one sent to represent Jesus Christ. 
He's talking about having that given authority to make decisions, to move forward, to accomplish what needs to be done. And it's one backed by the authority of the Son of God, whom the Creator had given that authority. When we talk about that kind of idea of apostle, it gives an understanding of why Paul could say with authority, here is what God has said to the church at Ephesus and to us. Now, why did Paul call himself an ambassador of Christ? In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, he says, Pray for me that whatever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am in chains. The commentators talk about him being the ambassador in chains. He's the ambassador for Christ in chains. The reason he is in chains, the reason he's in prison is because he's communicated the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that really did not want to hear anything about that. Ambassador of chains. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the first part, we are therefore God's ambassadors. He includes himself, but he's also talking about the body of, of Christ. We are the ambassadors. We are the personal representatives for God here on earth. He's placed us here. And so he calls himself an ambassador for Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, the first part, Paul said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He was sent with the authority and the calling to preach the gospel of Christ. Baptism came about as an after effect, a, a symbolic representation of one giving their life to Christ, but not just to go and baptize. He came to preach the gospel of Christ. He was an ambassador from Almighty God. And so we see what Paul is trying to get across when he's laying out the foundation for the church at Ephesus of who he is and what he's about to communicate. As he communicates this, he wants to be very clear that he belonged to Christ and not to those to whom he was ministering. He is accountable to Almighty God and not, not to the people that he was writing the letters to or going and discipling and ministering to. The reality is that uh, every one of us are held accountable to God. We're held accountable to God for our calling and for our faithfulness. We also see that he wanted them to understand that his power as an apostle was delegated power. He didn't take it on his own. He didn't come and say, well, I think I, uh, I know better than anybody else, so my process is that I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do. No, he said, I'm an ambassador. I don't speak my own opinions in this direction. What I do is that power has been delegated to me. It comes from somebody beyond me. It's God who is speaking, Christ who is leading me, his spirit who guides me step by step. Christ gave it to him. And Christ would protect him in its use. Now, it's not always that way. Of a special group who decided they wanted to run things for God, God said, they ran, but I called them not. We can see this vantage point if you go and read and understand the book of 1 John. There were those who had separated themselves because they had an a incorrect view of the deity of Christ. And they tried to move the churches away from this idea of the deity of Christ John writes them and says, listen, do not listen to them. 
And he spent the entire book of 1 John giving a great understanding of what was true and what was firm and what the scripture, what God had to say. That's exactly what has to happen. A person who is going to lead a congregation or going to lead a ministry has got to be a person who is God called. These days, some churches or some uh, Christian nonprofits don't demand a God called minister, but that is absolutely vital. I had the privilege of meeting uh, back uh, probably a month or five weeks ago with the Spiritual Leaders Network here in Sun City West. I coordinate that group, try to get them there. It's hard to get pastors uh, together at one particular time, but we had about uh, nine or ten, if my memory is correct, of, uh, of pastors. Some were, uh, were associates. And I decided that that day would be a great day just to talk about our callings. Because I wanted to hear from the different ministers that were in Sun City West. And you know, Nancy, you were there. I was, I was just um, so impressed by how each and every one of those ministers felt, experienced, and said, here's what God did. There was not a one of them said, I just felt that it was the right thing to do. In fact, many of them were on in years before God called them, before they acknowledged that. But as I walked away from that meeting, I thought, man, I might not have the same theologies as all of these guys, but I'll tell you what, I know that they have this sense of calling of what God wants them to do. I think that is absolutely important for every single church to have a God-called minister. And that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to get across. When he says, Paul, an apostle, he could have just written Paul, but there was a, a significance for the word apostle. He wanted them to understand that he was representing Christ. He had the authority of Christ, and the authority would encourage, strengthen him, and move him forward in accomplishing what God wants, an ambassador for Christ. Secondly, we find that these verses tell us who God's people are. They're called holy ones in the NIV. In the King James Version, First uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 says, to the saints in Ephesus. That word saints is really interesting. It's, it's created some havoc over the, the course of centuries of what the meaning was. If you look at the word and if you go through the New Testament, what you find is virtually every single time the word saints is used, it's used in the plural and not the singular. In Acts chapter 9, verse 13, just as a reference the scripture says, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, talking about Saul who would become Paul, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. He's talking about the body, the body of Christ, the saints. The word saint comes from a, a, a Greek word, a hagios, which means to consecrate to, to holiness, being sacred, being set apart, being pious. It has an understanding that you are separated from the world. As a saint of God, he's trying to get you to understand that you know what? You are a person that God has set aside because of your faith in him. It doesn't mean anything. It has nothing ever to do with sinlessness. Because some people will say, oh, well, preacher, I'm not a saint. Well, it depends on what your definition. But if you're looking at a biblical understanding, it's not talking about sinlessness. It's talking about the people of God, the holy ones of God, the ones who have been set apart 
who've given their lives to Christ and said, listen, my focus is on you, God. It's God's people, every single person that's given their life to Christ. The idea of the word saints is, uh, is a group of people set apart for the Lord and for his kingdom. Not set apart just to go about doing the work, but to be about the work of God in a relationship with him. There are four references that I think refer to some of the characteristics, godly characteristics that saints ought to have. Ephesians chapter 16 and verse, or, sorry, Romans chapter 16 and verse 2 says that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Here we find that, uh, that Paul is saying, we're sending this, this woman to you. She has authority. She has the papers, and I want you to receive her in a worthy, worthy manner, a manner worthy of the saints. Now, what is that? It's with openness. It's with love. It's not with trying to, to look with some kind of sarcasm or, or to look critically at. It's to say, our arms are open. You're a brother or sister in Christ, and we welcome you into our family. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12, the scripture says, and Paul does, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. He's talking about those that he has set aside, pastors, teachers, evangelists, etc., who are there for the equipping of the saints, the saints, the body of Christ. And those that God has called for those particular positions are here to invest in you, to help you in every single way, to equip the saints. That means as a saint, as a, a believer in Christ, as part of the body and the family of faith, you are here to be equipped. And you'll never be equipped as far as you need to be. It's a lifelong process. I've had a few people in my life um, as a pastor that have said, you know, preacher, I don't need to go to, to those Bible studies or I don't need to go to those training sessions. I don't need to do this or this because, you know what, I've just been, I've been in doing this for so long. And the reality is that they stopped growing at some point when they said, I don't need any more. That's not what the Scripture's saying. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and why are we doing the work of the ministry? He goes on to say, to the building up of the body of Christ. We're to build each other up, build up the body spiritually to encourage, to strengthen, to have compassionate care. And growing up also means to reach out, bring others in. That's, that's where we are. We're equipped to do everything we can to minister to each other and this body and reaching out. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3, he says, But immortality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. I think I said immorality, uh, immortality, I meant immorality. There are three things that he mentions here that are not proper among the saints. Immorality, sexual sin. Impurity, that's impure thoughts, words, motives, attitude, intent. Or greed. You don't need to be getting more and more. That doesn't mean only money. It means uh, power. It means more authority than God has given you. He says, listen, these are part of the, the godly characteristics that saints ought to have. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy. This kind of identifies who we are, doesn't it? That if you're going to be a saint, if you're going to be a holy one, if you're going to be part of the body of faith, then you need to be sanctified in Jesus Christ. You need to have Christ as your Savior. You need to be a growing individual. You need to be continuing to hunger and thirst for what God's Word has to say. You need to do everything that you can, not to coast, but to learn more and more spiritually, to be sanctified and to be called. called. God has called you to salvation. He's called you to the ministry of reconciliation. He has called you to be a part of this family of faith, and He has called you to be equipped for the ministry of service and the building up of the body of Christ. So he says, you're saints. You're ones to be set apart. The world ought to see a difference between you and somebody else, somebody who's not a believer. He says you're to be equipped. You're to build up the body. There's not to be immorality in thought, word, or deed, or impurity, or greed, but you're to be sanctified and called. We're different. We're unique. The world looks at us and says, wow, that's who I want to be. That's if we're living the way God wants us to be. If we're not, then as Vance Havner says, it's, uh, uh, the world pays no attention when the Lord's sheep become dirty gray because there's not a difference there. He says there are also faithful ones in verse, in verse uh, 1. He says, to the saints the faithful in Christ Jesus. The primary meaning of the term faithful ones are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And a secondary meaning are those who stand loyal to Christ. If you remember in the first century, the Roman Empire, they were persecuting believers wherever they could, especially in the, in the greater area of Rome. They were being incarcerated, prisoned, jailed. They were being beaten, criticized, and they were being killed so when he says to you the church at Ephesus to you the church first Baptist church in some city west you are faithful you've given your life to Christ that is the beginning part but you have continued you remain loyal to Christ no matter what you might face I can't tell you how many uh, how many times I have read this past week in my, uh, in my reading of articles and news reports how so many, because of the mass murders that have taken place, the violence that have taken place, how so many, especially on the left, the far left, that are blaming all of this on Christian nationalism. We are just moving step by step closer to this understanding that as believers in Christ, either trying to get us to hide or to be quiet, it will not take. We must stand. We're not persecuted like the Roman, the Christians in the Roman times were or as many Christians around the world are at this point. I'm thinking of North Korea. I'm thinking of places in the Middle East where every day 
They don't know if they're going to be captured or not in the underground churches. If this will be the last day or not. But we can see the rhetoric continuing to build. And I want to tell you right now that we need to stand firm. We don't need to hide. We don't need to be abrasive. We don't need to be argumentative. What we need to be are representatives of Christ. And we need to speak specifically standing on what God's Word has to say. Not all of our other personal opinions on things, but things that are trenched in Scripture. We stand firm for those. He says to the church at Ephesus, I know you're going through hard times, but listen, you're saints, you're set apart. Here are the things that you ought to be like. Here's how you ought to live. And at the same time, I want you to know how I am impressed by your faithfulness. You're standing firm. The faithful ones, no matter what comes, you weather the storm. Last, these verses tell us what God's people have. He, uh, he talks about in verse 2, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That word grace is, a, is, is probably a term that we know, most of us know pretty well. They have the grace of God. Believers do. A grace in the traditional understanding of, of the meaning is unmerited favor. It is a gift with no motive except a free-heartedness. And that, that phrase, free-heartedness, has the idea uh, that it's unreserved. It's frank. It's generous. It's genuine. It has the idea of compassionate care. It's not earned. <coughs> you don't earn your grace. It is given freely, unreserved to you when you give your life to Christ. And it's offered to every single person on this planet. There's a secondary meaning as well that I think we don't talk about much. It's the idea of unmerited favor, but it's also the idea of charm or attractiveness. It's kind of interesting how you would use that in the context of a, uh, of a sermon. But the reality is that a Christian should be genuinely charming and attractive to the world. Not fake, not full of glitter, not just uh, eloquent speaking. That's not, not what I'm talking about. But genuine charm and attractiveness to where the world sees and says, oh, you know what, that's the kind of person I want to be like. Now, for some reason, there are those that only see Believers who are abrasive are argumentative. And that's not who we are. It shouldn't be who we are. Now what, what we need as believers in Christ is we need to be people that the world sees and sees as genuine. And while we're not perfect, we're still holy ones. We're still set apart. They need to know that. They need to know that we're not going to argue the facts. We stand on what this word says, and we're going to stay with what it says, but we do it in an attractive, uh, a way that appeals, a way that says, man, I, I love you. That's why I'm standing firm. That's why I'm communicating. I want you to understand. I'm not here to argue with you. I don't want to be abrasive to you. But we come across that way a lot. We come across as judgmental. We come across as uh, demeaning to those who are lost. 
many times. But what they need is they need the presence of Christ, to see the presence of Christ in the people of God. He says, you have grace. As saints, what you have is the grace of God in you. Show it. Secondly, he says they have the peace of God. In verse 2, he uses that term peace. This is not a reference to world peace. Okay? Jeremiah 8.11 8, uh, 8, says, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. And there's not going to be peace. Why? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 10.34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. He knew what was happening because we are in a spiritual warfare here. It is constant. It's beneath the surface because it's a spiritual warfare. But you've got to be able to get into that realm and understand that you are in a battle. All we would like to say, all we want is peace on earth. And we sing songs that have that. That's what we would like. But Jesus is pretty clear. It's not going to happen here as far as the temporal world is concerned. The peace that is referred to by the Apostle Paul here is a peace that you have, an inner peace that is peaceful in the midst of a troubled and chaotic world. That's the kind of world that we live in. And so... While we are grieved by what is going on, we're grieved by what we see. We need to take action in the things that are wrong. We need to figure out the best way to do that and represent Christ in the midst of doing that. But that inner peace ought to bring us calmness. We find that uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, where this peace comes from. Paul said, For he himself talking about Jesus, is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's our peace. There's no other peace that we're going to get. If you're waiting for that, you're going to be waiting a long time. But if you have invested in Christ and your intimacy with him, no matter what storms are there, the peace is going to be there. How did he do that? It says, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall, his death, burial, and his resurrection. Brings peace from the Jews and the Gentiles to be able to come together because they have Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He says, the peace I leave you, he's the one that gives that peace. If you're searching for it or answers any other way, it's not going to come. You're going to be frustrated. Or it will be just for a short time. The peace, he says, I leave with you. Not as the world does. It's not going to happen. It's going to come in that relationship with Christ. He said, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid because it's going to get bad. But he said, that inner peace, you hold on to that. I gave it to you, and I'll take care of you. In John 16, Jesus said, I have said these things to you, 
that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Two statements there show the dividing line. He says that in me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Do you see the difference? It is clear. It's going to be tough. These are hard days. They're going to get harder, but you don't have to worry or be afraid. And you shouldn't. You should live your Christian life. You should have a voice. You should have a light. You should live a Christ-like life that people are drawn to, not walk away from. And all the while, you have this inner peace. As the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a powerful verse that helps us to understand that it's the peace of God we cannot define well. It's beyond our finite minds. We don't understand it. Paul's telling you that. But he says, it's going to help you. And he's going to guard you. Your minds and your hearts. He's going to take care of you. That's what he says. That means that you're not going to escape the trials and tribulations. You're not going to escape the difficult times. Whether they're in the world or whether they're just things that you're going through personally in, in regard to your health or your finances or in regard to your relationships. They're, they're still going to be difficult, but he says, I'm going to give you peace in the midst of those. I'm going to guard you. Also, when he uses that term peace, the peace of God, it indicates a feeling of well-being that comes from the absence of sin and the complete trust of God and his provision. When I say the complete absence of sin, of willful sin, what I'm talking about, we know that we're not sinless. It's only through the righteousness of Christ that we have the ability to have a relationship. So we may stumble and fall. But he says as a habit of life, what I want you to do is I want you to get rid of that. He mentions that when he talks about the term saints. I've already addressed that. We need to stay away from willful sin. We need to eliminate it. That, that temptation pops in our mind to either think something or say something or write something or do something. We need to stop it right there. Because if we move forward with it, that peace of God is not going to be inside of us. The same is true. We have to have complete trust in God, and we have to have complete trust in his provision. To have that inner peace, we need to move away from sin completely, do everything we can to stay focused upon Christ, to trust God completely and his provision that he promises to be with us. I read of a woman in Scotland who had a very hard life, and uh, yet in the midst of that hard life, she um, was serene and content. Somebody asked her how she, how she did that, and her answer was not spiritual, but it was profound. She said, I sail through the rough seas, but I keep my heart in the port. Even 
in the rough seas, Jesus is our port. He is our rock. He is our refuge. And he's going to give us that inner peace. The last thing, grace and peace, the last thing that he gives us is that we have a blessing from God. In verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. As I researched this, I, I came across what I thought might be the best translation. Blessed be the Father, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, which are found only in heaven. What that tells me is that heaven is real, and heaven is real in this life. Ah, wait a second, preacher. <laughs> Have you looked around? Have you looked at the news reports? Have you read? It says that the blessings exist only in heaven. Therefore, we live in heaven now, because spiritually speaking, We have an eternal life that started the day we gave our life to Christ. That's the day that our eternal life started. People so many times think, well, it's when I die, I go to heaven, yeah, to where Jesus is. But the fact is that when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, your eternal life started then. And when you leave this life, when you take your last breath, you're just transitioning from one place to another. And it's an amazing place. We talked about that at Donna's funeral yesterday. But we need to understand that our eternal life started when we gave our life to Christ. We don't have to worry about that. But we do have to grow. That blessing, that spiritual blessing, is right now. I wonder, is heaven real to you? I think that if you haven't quite understood that, you need to go and you need to, to look around at people who do not have a relationship with Christ and see how different they are. There's a sense of hopelessness, even though they may bring out a facade. Let me tell you, as a believer in Christ, you have something they do not. It's powerful. It also suggests that the best in life comes to those who are believers. Jesus said, I, I've come to give you the abundant life as well as the eternal life. Sometimes we forget what that abundant life is. The term abundant has the idea of overflowing. He says right here in this life, I'm going to give you overflowing abundance of my peace my love, my passion, my compassion, my grace, my peace, my blessings. That's what he says. And that's the way we ought to live. And that's what he wants us to live out in our lives and show to the world. So they not only can hear the gospel that Christ died for them and was raised for them, but also the blessings here as well as we talk about the hereafter. So, Paul says these are God's people. 
So many of you here, you have a relationship with Christ that's genuine. You're one of those people. And we see that these are God's people. But if you do not have a relationship with Christ, you're not one of those people. And so, in our invitation time, I would like for you to reflect on what the Apostle Paul says. Remember, the ambassador is one who represents the one who is eternal. That's us, representing God. And the saints, that's all of us. The holy ones set apart. The ones who are faithful. And the blessings God gives us is grace and peace and blessings here as well as when we make this transition. Today, if you don't have that, I would encourage you to come today and say, I, I want that. I want Jesus. I want those blessings. And if you are a believer today, in your prayer time, I want you to thank God. Thank Him. And commit to be the believer that is described by the verses we talked about. There's not abrasive or argumentative, but is attractive to the world, growing. One that stands firm on their beliefs and lives a life set apart. Father, as we move into our invitation today, you, you are speaking to each one of us, and we just open ourselves to you. But today, I pray there will be significant decisions made, concrete decisions, whether in public or rather where the folks are seated right now. But God, I pray that we will take the meaning of these words that Paul clearly communicated and we would apply them to us, not somebody else. That God, today, we would commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand, let's sing our invitation. I have desired to There are two sign-up sheets out in the lobbies, both the small lobby and the main lobby. The first one for the men's fellowship breakfast, which will be this Tuesday morning at 8. I hope that you will take advantage of that opportunity and make sure that you sign up so there will be sufficient food for you. Paul Barnes will be the speaker for that. And then on Tuesday, June the 21st at 1130 at Tivoli Gardens, there's a men's ministry luncheon. And also you need to sign up for that. 
The movie lunch will be on the 23rd of this month, and you'll see on the back of the bulletin, our movie for this month is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. But if you want to come at 12.30 and have lunch, we'll need you to sign up for that. Last week, I told you that we have an Oregon Stop Pizza trip planned for Thursday, June the 16th, and that there was a motor coach bus that would accommodate the first 55 of you. Well, there are very few seats left on that bus, but we want it to be full. So in this small lobby, Debbie Crump will be available after worship today to take your money, $20 for lunch and for transportation to and from. I hope you will take advantage of that. It is a wonderful opportunity, and you'll also see some other things that are happening this week on the back of the bulletin, especially the Just One Thing for June. Now that most schools are out, children are at home, and the need for food is great. So if you can help in that regard by bringing it, it goes to St. Mary's and then to those who really need that help. Stand, if you would, while our financial secretary, Carol Woods, comes to lead us in our closing prayer. Thank you. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your presence here today. We can feel it right now, Lord. We thank you for the preaching of the word and for pastor sharing with us the importance of grace, peace, and blessings, Lord. Help us to always uh, stand on those promises that you have given us, that we need to serve you to our fullest, Lord, and to be the saints that you have called us to be. And Lord, that people might see a difference in our lives that they might be drawn to us so that we might share the good news of Jesus Christ. Forgive us, Lord, where we fail you. Help us to be mindful that it is you doing things in us and it's not us doing it. So we pray, Lord, that you be with us as we go in our different directions. Keep us safe as we travel home. Bring us all back together, Lord, soon. For it's in your son's name that we pray, amen.